0: This is Anya Leonard, founder of Classical Wisdom. You are listening to Classical Wisdom Speaks, a podcast dedicated to bringing ancient wisdom to modern minds. Today's episode is with Dr. David Lewis, lecturer of Greek history and culture at the University of Edinburgh. We discuss slavery in the ancient Greek world, how it worked, who was enslaved, and a little bit about their lives. But before we get started, a quick reminder that this podcast is made possible by Classical Wisdom members. To find out more about our Classical Wisdom Society, please go to classicalwisdom.com and click Start Here. Uh, Thank you so much, David, for joining me today. Thank you. Uh, So we're going to be talking about ancient bondage, uh, slavery, that is and would you please start us off by just a little bit of a, an explanation or description of what slavery looked like in the ancient greek world
1: sure so um, you're dealing with basically a, 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 a property relationship so one person owning another person and we we find this as early as the bronze age we find it in Homer. We find it in right throughout the classical sources and, and all, all the way through to the end of, uh, end of antiquity. Um, and unsurprisingly, given the um, um, variety of the Greek world in terms of regions, um, you find a lot of different types there. So, the, the most common type you probably get in, uh, variations of in most places involves the slaves being imported from um, the periphery of the, um, the Greek world. So in, in the case of Athens, is the classical, the classic example. Um, they're getting their slaves mainly from uh, two places principally. And one's the race, so that's modern Bulgaria and parts of nor- northern Greece. And the other one's Asia Minor, um, especially Central Asia Minor, which is called Phrygia in antiquity. Um, but they also get slaves from all sorts of parts of the Black Sea, from, even from sub-Saharan Africa, a small number. Um, From Syria, quite a large number, Um, and we we know about this from um, all sorts of sources, especially inscriptions. We have some inscriptions from Athens. Um, We've got a great source in in Delphi. We have a series of um, over a thousand uh, manumission inscriptions, so inscriptions of slaves being freed, and these start uh, around 200 BC and go on through into the first century AD, and um, in in a quite large number of um, cases of those. They tell us where the slave in question came from, their ethnicity. Um, so you, you can see these slaves being traded through general commercial networks to these city states and all over the place. And then you get some oddballs like Sparta. Um, uh, and You've no doubt heard of the, the Spartans' helots. And I should, I should probably own up to having a slightly unconventional interpretation of these. Um, but it in my favorite it aligns with what the sources say and um, so th- these are slaves um, the, pro- the problem with interpreting the status of the, the helots is really and um, falls in line with the problem of interpreting what's going on in sparta generally in the classical period in that we've got sources that disagree with each other that come from different dates and um, if you follow the contemporary sources you get a picture of a slave system and um, if you In your faith on the sources from hundreds and hundreds of years later and it looks a little bit different. So I I think the safe option is to go for the contemporary sources. So in that that case, you've got a very different slave system, though, because it's not topped up from the um, slave trade. So you're talking about Greeks, a a Greek, enslaved Greek population um, reproducing itself over the generations and living in families. And it's a little bit like the American, uh, the US slave system before the Civil War. the, the slave trade had been cut off there in 1808, and um, when the Civil War started, uh, pretty much the entire population had been of, of slaves had been um, reproducing itself um, through um, slaves living in families, having, having kids, and actually it, it grew over time. So Sparta is a little bit of an oddball. There were some other ones like that in the Greek world, too. Thessaly in northern Greece had a similar system. Crete, and we know of some um, colonial sites like um, Heraclea on the Black Sea coast, that also had a a kind of monoglott slave population that seemed to have reproduced itself over time. So there's a lot of variety, um, matching the variety in the um, regions of the Greek world in terms of um, resources, geography, um, culture, uh, and economic practices. So how do you feel
0: this? because there's so many different historians who said they were, you know, um, one conquered group that, that didn't pay tribute, and, and there's many different versions. Do you have one that you prefer?
1: Uh, no, because so the, uh, the problem with the origin of the Helots is the, the sources we have are from hundreds and hundreds of years and after um, after the events they purport to describe, basically, it, it, uh, it, it looked like this. In, in the classical period, there was in places like Sparta, there was a slave population that reproduced itself, wasn't topped up from the outside. Spoke this exactly the same dialect of Greek as the as his masters. People like Plato and Aristotle come along, Theopompus of Chios, and Ephorus, and other historians, and they go, "Hmm, how did this come about?" And the obvious explanation is that the, um, the Helots were um, enslaved in one fell swoop way, way back in the in the olden days. Um, the, these uh, rationalizations get mixed in with other rationalizations like the Dorian invasion and these kind of things. Some of them are just completely see-through. So, for example, there's a town at the, um, in Laconia, south of Sparta, called Helos. Um, uh, it means swamp town. And... In antiquity, there was a kind of etymological explanation that, all well, the Helots got their name because they were from Helos and they were all enslaved. And well, there you go. Except the, the etymology doesn't work at all in Greek. The pronunciation of Helot in Greek is very different. So um, these are really kind of late rationalizations, trying to make sense of facts on the ground. And they're not worth putting too much faith in. Now we can ask where these populations came from, but it's not... Probably not worth being overly sanguine about getting an answer that will be uncontested and and finish the debate.
0: Now, in most of the rest of ancient Greece, you could sort of enslave anybody without any problem, but you weren't supposed to enslave another Greek. So how did the ancient Athenians feel about the Spartans enslaving the Greek?
1: Well, the, the problem isn't uh, enslaving other Greeks. And the Greeks did this all the time in, in warfare, enslaving other Greeks. And um, in some, somewhere like the Athenians, um, at least after the time of Solon, so it's the beginning of the sixth century, um, weren't supposed to enslave um, free people in, in Attica. So that wasn't cool. But once you're abroad, it's a different matter. And if there's a war, and actually, if you look at the Delphic Manumissions, um, we, uh, you can see quite a lot of Greek, Greeks in there too. So there's maybe as many Greeks in there as there are Thracians, for example. Um, the predominance overall is, is for foreigners, but there's a, there's a fairly significant proportion of Greeks. So, war, piracy, these kinds of processes end up with um, Greeks being enslaved by their Greeks. And it's kind of a, a case of hard luck then, from the Greek point of view.
0: And um, because the slaves came from so many different places, I guess. Um, you just didn't have the same issues with sort of identifying slaves, obviously. I mean, was it clear when somebody was a slave by their skin color or religion or things like that, or, or did people kind of have a feeling for it? Or?
1: So there were certain traits that were seen as stereotypical of slaves, like having you know, facial tattoos or something like that, and um, having red hair. This is something Thracians were supposed to have red hair, blonde hair People from the North. Um, but really, you can't tell legal status at sight that easily because that same person could be could be manumitted, they could be freed, and they look exactly the same, but they've got a, now they've got a completely different legal status. And we've got this kind of rant by a, a guy that's known as the old oligarch. He's probably not that old actually, but he's kind of a right-wing guy. He's very pro-Spartan. He thinks Athens should be run like Sparta, and wouldn't it be better if? The Athenian slave system is run like the the Spartan system of heritage. And he complains about people not being able to tell the difference in Athens between slaves and and free persons. Um, Whereas in Sparta, actually, you can spot a citizen a mile off because they've got very particular habits of dress. And, and, you know, they have a a beard but with no mustache. And they have long hair. that They're allowed to grow after they come of age. Um, They seem to have particular items of clothing that allow you to these guys out in the crowd. So um, in terms of dress and appearance in Sparta, it kind of encoded um, legal status in a way that didn't happen in many other places. So it really depends where you are. Uh,
0: Do we know much about the life of the slaves? And and, I mean, I guess there's certain individuals or what their day-to-day life was like. Um, Do we have much insights into that?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. So and this is a question that people are asking a lot in research at the moment um, trying to get a handle on the agency of slaves and that kind of thing. I mean we know about the lives of certain very prominent ones so um, from the orators the, we've got good examples of um, well there's a lady Naira Demosthenes 59 and uh, that speech at least purports to give us the outline of this woman's life is that she starts off as a a child slave in the Peloponnese, and then is groomed up by um, a madam called um, Nicorette, I think, um, to work as a as a hetaira, courtesan, a prostitute. And we get a lot of details about her life, you know, and you can ask questions about how how much of that is true. Um, and then we've got a pretty good amount of inf- information on another quite prominent slave, um, Passion, who was a a banker in Athens and did very well for himself and was manumitted, became the richest guy in town, became an Athenian citizen. So you get these occasional um, cases of exceptional people, but what about all the other slaves? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's true, most of our evidence is, is is very unrepresentative of them, but sometimes you get the odd bits uh, and pieces that gives you a um, an insight into them, so there was a, a really interesting um, document found in the, um, in, I think it's from the Athenian Agora and possibly the keramikos but it's uh, a, a letter written on a strip of lead from the fourth century, and it's from a, a slave called Lysis, and it's to his mother, and this guy called Xenocles, we, we don't know who Xenocles was, um, but it's asking them to intercede with his, with his owners, so he's co-owned. Um, by you know, at least two masters, maybe more, and um, what these masters have done, they, they put this this slave in a in a foundry, you know, um, like a blacksmith shop, and he's getting the, He's getting knocked about very badly. And the the latter is basically trying to get his mother and the Senecles guy to talk his masters into um, taking him out of this foundry and putting him into into some other line of work that he won't get as badly abused at. So you occasionally get documents like that. Another thing, another genre that's been um, very interesting in, in recent years are these um, oracular lamellae from Dodona in, in northwestern Greece. Some questions to the god there at the, the shrine. And we've got one at least from a slave called Kittos. And he's asking the god whether his master will basically hold up his side of the bargain and, and free him like he like he promised he would. So very occasionally you get these bits of evidence that give you a direct kind of connection to the voice of slaves, but those those are the exception rather than the rule.
0: Classical Wisdom members can listen to the whole podcast on classicalwisdom.com. Thank you for listening to Classical Wisdom Speaks.